No matter, no, no matter how we present ourselves socially, publicly, we're all in different ways for different reasons desperate. And it's in that desperation when we fall at the feet of Jesus, when there's love and grace and hope for our future, no matter who we are, where we've come from. Matter of fact, often it's people who have a lot, it's we who are more privileged that have a more difficult time. This might disrupt my life. This might change. Wait a minute, I'm going to have to humble myself before Jesus. It could actually be more challenging for us. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Failure and was based on Acts 15 36 through 40. 2 Timothy 4.11, and 1 Peter 5.13. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. We've celebrated Thanksgiving, and now we're en route through Advent and then into Christmas. And for many of us, these are days of celebration, aren't they? It means that for some of us, we get a few days off of work, right? Although I don't get Sundays off, but a few days off of work, right? And uh, gathering together with families, and we're grateful for our warm, warm homes. Probably a lot of us have been eating way too much food. And some people are already looking for the sales to begin purchases for Christmas presents, right? But you know, every year I have a growing reticence in the midst of the celebration. Because it's good. God loves for us to celebrate and be joyful and gather together. But I also have this kind of underlying reticence. <clears throat> thinking about people who have no family to gather with. And who feel like they're on the sidelines watching everyone gather together. Or their family is toxic. So they're struggling. Should we even gather with family because it'll be painful? Or is it better to just avoid it? Others are grieving loss. This might be the first holiday season without someone who they love. And it overshadows everything. Others are food insecure. So they're seeing all the consumption at Thanksgiving and then Christmas, and they can barely put enough food on their table. There's other people who, they won't have a day off work. The holiday season actually means a lot more work. For other families, there's somebody missing at the table because they're incarcerated, and it's just another holiday season without them. And others live in fear of violence in different places in the world. We can go on and on and on, and so often this isn't noticed in our often monolithic narrative. So often these are people who are invisible in our narrative in people's minds. So here's the question, how does God view people who are seemingly forgotten by their society? How does God view people who are marginalized in their culture? How does God view any of us? Because what I've just described is probably all of us at different seasons of our lives. This isn't about them. This is about us. This is us in different seasons of our lives, along with a lot of people who we know and love and so many other unnamed people in our lives when we feel like giving up. We're wrapping up our sermon series, When You Feel Like Giving Up. We've been exploring the lives of different people who at different times felt like giving up and how God met them right at the intersection of their hurt or their pain or their loss or their grief or their brokenness or their doubts and how God ministered to them and walked alongside them. So will you join me in Mark chapter 5 for those who are worshiping here in the house. It's found on page 995 in the Blue Bibles. That says everyone to turn either in the Blue Bibles 995 or in your Bible or your device for those who are worshiping online. 
this morning. Uh, Cue up your device or turn Mark chapter 5. And here we're going to meet a woman with no name in the eyes of her culture. She's just this woman who people have seen who has no name. But by the end of this episode in her life, she's going to know and her neighbors are going to know that she is a daughter of God because of an encounter she has with Jesus. We join me in Mark chapter 5. Uh, let's meet together in verse 22. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came to Jesus and fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Now Jairus is one of the more prominent people in the society because the synagogue was was the epicenter for uh, the social life, spiritually, education, sometimes politically. It was like the epicenter. So this would be like the university chancellor or the police chief or the school superintendent or a leading business person or a media personality who comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and begs Jesus in public for healing for his daughter. That's desperate humility, isn't it? Especially since probably most of the people that that he hangs out with view Jesus in a very different way. That's how desperate he is for his daughter. But you know, I wonder what the disciples are thinking right now. We don't know, but I wonder if they're thinking, oh, Jesus, this is our big break. This is what we've been waiting for because uh, we can meet prominent people spiritually in the religious establishment. We can network with them. There's going to be a huge crowd. Uh, This is going to have media coverage. I mean, this is the moment, Jesus, where finally people really see who you are to be this public healing. Let's hurry, Jesus. Let's go. Hurry up. Come on. Go, go, go. Let's go, Jesus. But then there's an interruption. And there's like this subplot within the story in verse 25. A woman was there who'd been subjected to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. Imagine this woman. She's been bleeding, menstrual bleeding, for 12 years. Physical exhaustion. This is a woman who, for at least 12 years, has been chronically fatigued. This is a woman who has entrusted herself to doctors and their best cures are only making her worse. This is a woman who has now fallen into financial poverty. She spent all she had. There's nothing left. She's impoverished. She's experienced social isolation. She'd be considered unclean in the Hebrew law. And let's remember God's original design for clean and unclean in the law was never to shame people, never to outcast people. It was instead to teach people about the holiness of God and our need for redemption because we're unclean and also to protect people from communicable diseases. But by the time of Jesus, people who were unclean were viewed very differently and they were outcasts. They were socially marginalized and religiously, she might have been viewed by many people as cursed. Well, you're obviously cursed by God because you're unclean. It goes on and on and on and on. God has cursed you. And then she must have had spiritual questions like we do. You know, God, I, I, I think I've been striving to be faithful, but 
I keep suffering and suffering and suffering, and I pray, and my family prays, and God, I don't understand, where are you in the midst of this? This woman is suffering tremendously, holistically, in every way imaginable. Now, kind of a side note that I think is critically important. This woman might have once upon a time been prominent in the community. Here's why. Notice it says, she spent all she had. This is a woman who at one time had financial resources. As a matter of fact, in antiquity, the poor didn't have access to doctors. The fact that she spent all she had on doctors means that she's at least of a social status, that she has enough wealth to have doctors accessible to her. Okay? There, there were no like, like medical clinics with free care at that time. If, the only people who saw a doctor were people who had financial resources. And for 12 years, she spent all she had. Here's why I note that. It's how we can view people, kind of locked in a moment of time. I think one of the, one of the interesting learning experiences of, of our church family hosting Craig's Place Shelter for 11 years was that there was an opportunity to meet a lot of people who are homeless neighbors and have coffee with them, conversations with them. I drove a few to the hospital, different things like that, and, and, and then sometimes you'd see them like in, I don't know, around campus or, or at a coffee shop and there'd be conversations. And I'm amazed how many were college graduates, how many served with an honorable discharge in the military, and then things happened. Like there were medical issues and because of that uh, came homelessness. I can relate because at one time about eight or nine years ago, We'd accrued over four or five years, just, just under $57,000 of out-of-pocket medical expenses for our family. Now, fortunately, over the years, we've been able to dig out of that, and that's now gone. But had we been in a different financial place, what would we have done? Some, it's because of mental illness, some because of substances, some, one I know because of a, a traumatic brain injury. But when we really get to know people's stories, we realize that's really us who've had different life experiences. And that's who this woman was. Who knows that maybe once she was prominent, but prominent enough to be able to afford doctors and have enough money over 12 years to lose it all. We see her every day. She's alive and well in our culture, in our time. It might be someone who's sick, but they have no health insurance. Or people in the world who only have access to contaminated water. Or people whose house is foreclosed. They have no other options. Or people who work long hours, but it's not enough to have food and clothes and heat in the winter and diapers for their children and education, let alone first month, last month, and security deposit to move in somewhere. Let alone enough for a down payment. Or it might be people at the border who have kids, just like you and me. There are kids. And all they want is a better life for their family and safety and hope. And maybe for some it's generational poverty, where it just has been passed along generation, generation. Because if you, even a few generations back, were at a place, especially because of racism, where you weren't able to buy a house especially in the kind of neighborhood where there'd be appreciation, or you went to schools 
that were inferior so you couldn't compete for the kinds of jobs, that generationally gets passed down, doesn't it? And so she's all around us, and sometimes she's us, this woman. And so here's the challenge. Do we see her? And how do we view her? Through the lens of our culture or through the eyes of Christ? This is a lot easier to preach than live out. Okay? We'll spend the rest of our lives recalibrating how we view the world and how we act toward our neighbors as Christ followers. Well, in verse 27, look at the desperate action that she takes. Verse 27, when she heard of Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and her body was freed from suffering. What an amazing risk this woman takes. Think of the courageous risk that she takes. Because remember, she's viewed as unclean in her culture. In a culture in which that uncleanness meant this huge separation. And so the fact that she engages in the crowd, well, she could have easily been called out, wait a minute, you're unclean? What what shame. She's taking a huge risk by even entering into this crowd, let alone to reach out and touch Jesus. She's desperate. See, the the woman and Jairus, they're very different in in their social construct, right? In, In how they're viewed socially. But they're similar. They're both desperate. And you know, really that's that's the human experience. No matter, no, no matter how we present ourselves socially, publicly, we're all in different ways for different reasons desperate. And it's in that desperation when we fall at the feet of Jesus. When there's love and grace and hope for our future. No matter who we are, where we've come from. Matter of fact, often it's people who have a lot, it's we who are more privileged that have a more difficult time. Because when you're desperate and you know it, you're desperate. And sometimes it can be easier to come to Jesus. But when we're privileged, it's often like, oh, hey, wait, this might disrupt my life. This might change. Wait a minute, I'm going to have to humble myself before Jesus. It could actually be more challenging for us. So here's Jesus' response in in verse 30. Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, but you ask, who touched me? Now, Jesus knows who touched him, because Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, he he could read minds, he could see things, he could understand things. Why why is he he making this scene? Why doesn't he just keep on walking by? Because he wants this woman to experience more than only physical healing. He wants that for her. But Jesus is holistic. There's still a lot more healing to happen for this woman. And and the second thing is, he wants to teach the crowd something from this. And we've been invited into that crowd. We're, We're there watching right now. And we're invited to learn from this moment as well. So imagine, why does Jesus stop? Because the woman's already healed. And, and, and this is going to make Jairus wait. Remember, Jairus is walking with, with imagine Jairus, hey, wait, 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 my daughter. Jesus, please, come back to her later, my daughter. I'll, I'll give you more money if you need. I'll give you whatever blessing. 
You know, if we were Jesus' handlers, can you imagine? We would just say, okay, people, we're walking. We're walking, people. We're walking. Keep moving. Keep moving. Let's go, Jesus. And imagine the crowd. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody starts bumping into each other, right? It's like, why, why are we stopping? Wait, why would Jesus make Jairus wait? Now there must have been a real VIP that stopped Jesus on the way to Jairus' house. And then they wait, wait a minute, it, it's that woman? We're stopping for this woman? Jesus stops because this is a teachable moment. And the moment is everyone matters to God. No matter who we are, our background, how our culture views us, you matter to God. I know what the message that might be starting to play. It's an old downloaded message of like, yeah, yeah, but wait a minute, but end of sentence. You matter to God. Jesus passionately loves you, no matter what. He's the lover of our souls. And see, he wants her to know that she's not invisible. And, and also, her, her body's been healed, but now Jesus wants her to experience spiritual healing and social healing. And that's what happens next. But before we move on to the last section, it really challenges us. And this challenges me. Am I too busy on my way to see the gyruses of my life? To stop and notice. Do I look more through the lens of my culture or the lens of Christ? To notice, fill in the blank, whatever it is. The marginalized, people who are broken, people who are hurting or the beauty of the earth, or the ways that God wants to speak to us. One of the things that um, I wrestle with a little bit, we often see, it, you know, it's like, it's the holiday spirit. You know, it's like the halftime of, of a Thanksgiving, you know, you know, football game, and it's like, look, here's some people, and they went, and, and they stage in a roll, and they put a piece of, you know, a little bit of potato on a plate, and then they leave, and it's like, it's the holiday spirit. And I'm often like, but what happens... The, 11, the other 11 months for people. See, I don't want the holiday spirit. I want God's spirit at work in my life 24-7, 365. You know what I mean? And so, do we look through more of a cultural lens or through the lens of Christ? It's a lifelong recalibrating journey of growing. Well, so then in verse 33, here's the woman's response. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. Isn't it amazing? Here's this massive crowd of people. They're going to this important place for this important person for this important moment. And Jesus stops and he calls one person viewed insignificant out of the crowd. Jesus still does that. Jesus still wants to call you and me out of the crowd. Sometimes we can feel like I'm just another face in the crowd. Our world, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, statistics came that supposedly now we've hit 8 billion people in the world. It's unfathomable, isn't it? 8 billion people. Isn't it easy to think, well, 8 billion, God, God wouldn't really notice me. I mean, I'm, I'm just me. 
And plus, I've got my stuff and my brokenness and there's stuff. And how, how can I? And I can barely even compete in life, let alone with God. But we don't have to compete with, for God. It's attention. I've said this before, and it blows my mind. I never read this. I actually came up with this. Now watch. Probably I read it somewhere, and I don't know. Because how much is original, right? But God can give 100% attention to 100% of people 100% of the time. Isn't that amazing? Because we're, we're, we're fine out. We have a hard time paying attention to anybody, anything, any, anytime, right? Because we're so distracted, not God. 100% attention, 100% people, 100% of the time. God is still calling to, to draw us out for that encounter. And even those daily encounters, even in the midst of the crowds and our crowded lives. <clears throat> but I, did you notice it says, not go in peace free from suffering, but go in peace and free from suffering. See, Jesus is separating out. You're free from your... You've been physically healed, but now I also want you to go in peace. It's holistic. See, Jesus, here in verses 33 and 34, he's, he's making sure that she and everyone grasp her body has been healed. She's, quote, free of suffering. But then Jesus also speaks into her spirit. And says, your faith has healed you. Now think about this. This is a public moment. Jesus has just drawn this marginalized woman as an example to the community of faith. Your faith. See, others might be saying, leave the, leave the rabbi alone. Leave the, he healed you. Go. But instead, Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, everyone. Listen into this. Your faith has healed you. She's an example of faith. Isn't that beautiful? He's affirming spiritually, you got game. You've learned to trust God. And so physically, spiritually, and now socially, he says, daughter. See, he's publicly calling out the whole crowd to recognize, you know what, this, this woman who you thought was cursed, you, you thought was martyr, she's a daughter of the king. She's a daughter of God. She's one of God's beloved. She's one of my sisters. Isn't that powerful? Holistically, physically, spiritually, socially, Jesus is bringing healing and he's calling the crowds to look at her differently. Just like we're part of that crowd now and we learn how to look at people differently. She moves from a woman with no name to a daughter of the king. And that calls for us, what's the source of our identity? This is one of those things, again, we'll, we'll re recalibrate you know, over and over and over grow in this. How much do we find our identity from outside in, you know, whatever accomplishments, achievements, whatever. And those are good things. Pursue those, celebrate those. But if we find our identity in those, the bottom's going to fall out at some time, right? Because we can't manufacture those to meet all of our needs. Plus, we'll also be shaped by those things. But when our identity comes in Christ, good day, bad day, When we feel blessed or, or kind of cursed, we know that our identity comes in Christ, who says we're loved, we're forgiven, and we're called to be his people in this world. Amen? That's our identity. See, Jesus has given her a new identity in Christ. But let's also recognize Jesus does continue on to Jairus' house. And he heals Jairus' daughter. This is important because Jesus ministers to this marginalized woman. He also ministers to this privileged man. 
Because God is an equal opportunity God. See, God loves all, all peoples, whether impoverished or privileged, when we humble ourselves before God. So, <clears throat> see, if we're a person of privilege, then let's recognize it. Don't be ashamed of it, but recognize it. Yeah, I've had this, this, this privilege. And let's humble ourselves and recognize this comes from the hand of God. All I've done is stewarded what God has entrusted to me. And, and then let's also steward that. Who stewarded privilege more beautifully than Jesus? No one in human history had more privilege than Jesus, God in the flesh. But he stewarded that and laid it down in order to use those resources to serve people and change the world. Uh, but maybe we feel more marginalized. See, all of us probably at some moments are going to feel a little more privileged or at least acknowledge we're more privileged and other times we're going to feel a little more marginalized, wounded. In those times, remember, in Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. This world can never take that away from you. Amen? You're a son in Christ. If you've chosen to follow Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter of God, and that's who God declares that you are. Here's how this can bring radical change to people's lives and a, a community to wrap it up. I, I shared this with you several years ago, but <clears throat> our family moved here almost 24 years ago from Portland, Oregon. And we were part of Bethany Church, uh, a fantastic church. I was the spiritual formation pastor, and, and kind of behind the church was still a, a working farm, right? You know, the, the neighborhoods had kind of surrounded, but there was a farm, and um, everyone talked just about, especially people who had been part of the church for years, this wonderful relationship with the farm. There'd been a little bit of a land swap, and, uh, and then one time, I learned the history. This was like a third-generation family who, who was working that farm, um, and they were Japanese-Americans, and the family was interned during World War II. And a bunch of farmers at the church planted the seed, tilled the soil, farmed the land, and put the money in the bank. So when this family came back, unlike most families who had been interned, when they came back, they had a working farm, and they were blessed, and their family continues to be blessed into the future. I'll tell you, I was probably more, I'll just say proud in the right way to be part of that church family at that moment. Because that's viewing neighbors not through the lens of culture, but through the lens of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? It also caused me to ask, what would I have done in that moment? But let's remember this. We're this woman. Now before you're offended, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that... We're this woman. Because let's remember, we all were unclean because of our sin and our filth and our depravity. We too were desperate. We were desperately searching for something for our lives. And we too have been cleansed by sin because of Jesus on the cross. And Jesus says to us, your sins have been nailed to the cross. He calls us out of the crowd and he says, you're my son. You're my daughter. 
I pray that we may live out our lives in the fullness of the sons and daughters of God and that we might be like the hands and feet and voice of Jesus to the crowds and the individuals in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a wonderful day.